The Structural Engineering Channel podcast is published by the Engineering Management Institute and is part of EMI's Civil Engineering Media and Entertainment Network, which can be found at cement.media. That's cement, C-E-M-E-N-T dot media. Welcome to this episode of the Structural Engineering Channel, a podcast focused on helping structural engineering professionals stay up to date on technical trends in the field and to help them succeed in their careers and lives. In this episode, we are talking to Trina Agnello, a structural assistant manager at Stewart. We will be taking a deeper look into what a structural engineer can expect after their first five years of college when starting to work at a structural engineering firm. I'm your co-host, Matt Cardle, And I'm your co-host, Kara Green. Now let's jump into our conversation of the week with Trina. Trina, welcome to the show. So in your own words, can you please tell our listeners a little bit more about, one, your career journey and what you do daily at Stewart? Thank you very much for having me today. Appreciate the opportunity. I am an assistant manager for Stewart. Uh, Stewart is a multidiscipline firm. So we have eight practice areas and structural engineering is covered in three of our five offices here in North and South Carolina. Day-to-day is mixed bag. You know, you never know what's going to come your way. I wish I could say, oh, I, you know, I clock in at eight and I check email from eight to nine. It's really regimented, but it really isn't. You really don't know what's going to happen, what contractors are going to come up, what architect might need a proposal, maybe a site visit. So it's really kind of been a mixed bag for quite some time. And I think that that's one of the things why I like being a structural engineer is that there really is not the same day twice and keep learning a lot. My career journey definitely has not been linear by any stretch of imagination. I graduated back in 91 from Villanova and I was moving to Florida at the time to be with my parents. And it was middle of a recession and there was no structural engineering job whatsoever. So I decided to take some of my personal skills and my customer service skills and I started waiting tables. And boy, were my parents so happy that I was doing that, taking my four-year college degree and taking it to waiting tables. They were so happy with me. I made a good deal of money and I moved out into an apartment and was on my own. And I was just doing my thing and engineering was kind of like in the background and people that I was working for was a restaurant chain and they were growing really quickly. And they found out that I had an engineering background and they asked me if I knew Lotus. And I'm like, yes, that's something that we all used, right? Which is now Excel, right? They needed me to do spreadsheets and I started working in the corporate office and the receptionist quit and they asked me to stop waiting tables and can you answer phones? And I'm like, sure, you know, they were going to pay me. I was making in the restaurant just nine to five and really a normal job. And I learned about different aspects of the business franchising. So I learned about agreements and I learned about legal. I learned about accounting and, you know, profit and loss statements. And I learned about uh, training operations manuals, because it was a restaurant, you learned about, you know, plating and flyers and coupons and, you know, a whole bunch of stuff that you just 
never would have had that opportunity if you graduated from engineering school and went right to a job, right? So you were learning, I learned, I spent nine years, you know, doing that. And finally, my husband said, what are you going to do with that degree that's been sitting in the closet? You know, and I'm like, I don't know. And he kind of pushed me off the ledge a little bit. And um, he went to this crazy place called Monster that was, you know, just on the internet. And I'm like, you're never going to find me a job on that thing. And sure enough, he literally found a job that was a mile and a half from where I was working. And the rest is kind of history. So I think that non-traditional start that I've had in engineering has really benefited me because it has showed me that engineering is a business. Engineering is marketing. It's a lot of different things that sometimes we don't always are exposed to, but it's important. And it's definitely made me appreciate where I'm at in my career. And it's definitely made me appreciate the fact that this is where I want to be. I've had a chance to go do something else. And this is really where I belong. I really like this. It's interesting that you mentioned like waiting tables. I waited tables while I was in school in engineering. And it does build those relationship skills. So the people relationship skills, obviously, because you want to, you know, make customers happy, but that does translate into engineering because contractors, you know, a lot of times if you think of people when they're hungry, they're likely not super happy. Contractors likely call engineers in like the heat of the moment those types of people management skills do come into play, especially in those high stress situations. So I completely agree with you. And I know you say it's not linear, but maybe in that context it's not, but it's incredibly beneficial to have that background. Yeah. And I think it was, you know, one of the things that always gets me about being thrown into it in the middle of it and you like walk on to a job site, you know, so here I'm nine years out of school. I'm a little bit older but I don't really have a lot of the skills that you should have had, you know, 10 years in, nine, 11 years in or whatever. The gentleman I was working for used to just, I mean, he literally threw me in the deep end all the time and just to see if I could make it. God love him for that, honestly. So people would think that I had this experience that I didn't have just because I was a little bit older. So I was like faking it all the time. I'd be like, uh-huh. And I would just write things down very calmly. I was literally faking it until I made it and just writing things down. I'm like, I'll get back to you on that. You know, like really trying to be cool and collected on the outside. And on the inside going, holy crap, I don't know what's going on here. You know, and it was going back and going, okay, this is what he said exactly. Cause I wrote it down and like, what does this mean? And asking lots of questions and asking contractors lots of questions. I can remember the first time I, um, I heard the expression, you know, headed stud, I'm, you know, like, what does that mean? Like, I don't know what that means. And then just being, you know, listening and keeping your eyes and ears open and just writing things down and going home and Googling it and just trying to figure out what everyone was talking about. But it was definitely a different experience, that's for sure. Definitely a common experience, even among uh, young structural engineers just getting into the industry. I know we all get that shell shock, uh, especially if we've just been in school and then you get into the AEC industry and then all these terms. But having that attitude that you have is, I don't know yet, but I'll figure it out. And asking a lot of questions, I think that's one of the keys to success is uh, always asking questions and being curious. What is it like for a, a newly graduated structural engineer? What can they expect after college when they start to work at firms similar to yours? Like how would a typical day be like for them? There is no typical day, right? Because one of the things that they need to realize that is that there is no schedule or regiment that we follow when we get out of college. And 
I think one of the analogies that I like to use is that when you study to be a doctor, you go to school, you go to medical school, and then you're an intern literally for what, three, four years, and then you're allowed to be quote unquote on your own, right? So when you're interning with another doctor, you can literally go see a patient and then you and the other doctor really go off to the side and compare notes and he'll ask you or she'll ask you, what do you think? What test should we prescribe? What do you think it is? And you have that discussion and you get to talk about it. Engineering, when you graduate, you don't have that. You're just like, okay, here's your desk, here's your computers and your screens and good luck. It's, you don't know anything. And that's the one thing I think that's really a misnomer about when we graduate from engineering school is that we don't know how to put a set of drawings together. You know, we might be working for just a structural firm. We might be working for a precaster. We might be working for a like age metal steel detailer. We might be working in a steel shop. There's so many different engineering professions that we can have that it really, there's no typical day. But I can say that if you're building buildings, you know, you could be checking shop drawings. You could be going on a field visit. You could be watching concrete. You could be watching aggregate peers go in. So I could definitely say that, or you could be checking shop drawings, which again, nobody teaches you anything about the shop drawing in college. Did anybody have a class called shop drawings? Like nobody knows what that means. How many things did you learn just from checking shop drawings? It teaches you how to be a better detailer, you know, but nobody tells you that that's part of your job, but that's a big part of our job. Construction administration. Did you take that class? No, there's no such thing as contract administration. There's definitely nothing typical about what we do, but I definitely think that one of the things that a newly graduate engineer needs to know is that that there's still a lot of learning to do. And that's, there's going to be a lot of questions and you're going to be coming from a place where you feel like you got maybe hit by a truck every day. You know, some days you might not feel, you'd be like, man, I just feel like I know nothing. And that's okay. And we've all been there. Everybody knows that. And I think that maybe the challenge, the last couple of years have been coming out of COVID is that there's a lot of engineers who did not get that last internship that they might have needed. They might not have gotten, you know, that face-to-face coaching with their advisor on what classes to take. And, you know, maybe we should explore like a steel elective in this semester or something. And they're really missing that contact of what our job really is and what it's doing. And they graduate in a, in a job and they might still be working from home and they might feel really alone and it's okay. But there's so many people that have gone to an office and still feel alone. I think the message that I want to make sure that everybody hears is that it's okay to ask a lot of questions. We expect you to ask a lot of questions those first couple of years coming out because there's so much you just don't know. And we already know that because we've been through, we've walked those shoes, right? We've walked that mile. Or two. A few episodes back, I think, and maybe just on a personal note, it's not recorded, me and Matt were having the conversation of new engineers getting introduced into engineering and the job market right now, of course, as an engineer outside of school, and they don't have that if they're still working virtually, you know, they don't have that ability to just like go talk to their supervisor immediately. You know, now it's, you got to set up a meeting to have this discussion, you know, the touch points are a lot less common. And I was thinking about like my own experience, like I did a brief internship and then got hired on with my company straight out of college. And when I was in my internship, my desk space was literally right across from my supervisor. I was just like the top half of her desk I owned. 
it was a constant back and forth. Some terminology like just doesn't translate from class, which I was still in to like actual practical application. (laughs) You definitely can see, you know, people that have had an internship and how they know the lingo they've listened to. They've, you know, eavesdropped on conversations. So they know how to act in a meeting or they know what questions to ask because they've heard someone else ask it. And all those, we call those accidental learning opportunities or whatever that you just can't track. Like you said, you have to schedule a Zoom meeting or a Teams meeting. And even if you IM somebody, it's still not the same as like running into them in the kitchen and asking them a question. Our group is separated into Teams. So we have people working out of the same office that they don't necessarily even talk to on a daily basis. We talk to our teams daily. We meet every morning to start our day. So if anybody has any questions or just so everyone knows what they're working on and everyone's moving in the same direction. But if you don't get a chance to talk to somebody else that might be on another team, that kind of stinks because you're missing that valuable experience that they have that they bring to the table. How would you say that classwork translates to the day-to-day work of an actual structural engineer? Like I was reading code, which is always exciting, but like I came across like a differential equation and I was like, oh, it's been a while since I've taken 50Q. Let's see what this really looks like. But I remember a lot of the theory, but in your perspective, what do you think about that? What does seem to translate fairly well and what do you say doesn't translate? I applaud you for working in differential equations into this podcast. That's quite an impressive skill you got there. I think the big takeaway is problem solving. What you learn in engineering school is how to solve a problem and how to go look for an answer that you might not have. And I think that that's really what we do all day, right? We we put together drawings to hopefully build something in a perfect world. But then we know that there's no such thing and accidents happen and things get missed or our drawings aren't clear enough. We need to, somebody's going to come back and go, I need to fix this. So you go in there going, okay, I know the lows, I know the materials, I need to figure out a solution. It's a puzzle. One of the things I think that classwork shows you is that you have to know how to solve that puzzle. You know, when I uh, work in a structural engineering firm, I think it's all puzzles, problem solving. Like even though it may not be strictly engineering, there's still a problem, but you can use your engineering skills one way to look at it. I think uh, that's always interesting, like with uh, different views on construction administration, some engineers might look at it like, oh, they gave me a problem. Or you could look at it like, oh, that's a problem. How do we solve that? How do we install this without maybe interfering with architecture or some infield condition? So if you have that perspective and you really like problem solving, like you said, every day is different and every day is uh, solving a new problem. To what you said before, Trina, is, yeah, a lot of newer engineers, we've all been there. We know you're not going to know a lot of stuff. And we get scared as like managers when you're not asking questions and you're new because we're like, I know you don't know anything. How come you're not asking me questions? You know, it's funny, like one of the things that I like to say is that there's a class called experience, but no one ever has time to take it, right? If you're not asking the questions and you're not getting it, like you said, we know that you that you need to be asking us the question. That pudding size should not be 25 by 25 for a one-story building. That doesn't work. And there is that disconnect between, you know, what we study in class and quote-unquote experience. 
Do you know why there is a disconnect between class and, you know, the industry? And do you have any suggestions on maybe what we can do as the industry to help bridge that? I've been sitting on some university boards and community college boards about, you know, what their classwork is and what they think that we want. And it's really interesting because most of us graduate with a civil engineering degree. So is that true for for both of you guys? It is true for me. Yep. Yeah. Okay, so civil engineering, that's a big umbrella. That's site work, that's hydrology, that's hydraulics, that's soils, that's, for me, it was environmental. I took a survey class, I took reinforced concrete, I took a lot of things, and I could have gone in any direction that I wanted to with that basis. So I think that the disconnect is that, okay, so why did I have to take differential equations? No offense, but I don't use that. Like, I would have loved to have taken a wood class or a masonry class or maybe another steel detailing class, or how about a code class? How many times we sit and read code? Like nobody told us about this code stuff. This stuff is horrible. No one told us that there's an IBC. Well, there's only one IBC, I think down. So it's IBC and then there's eight, you know, ASCE, ACI. There's all these other different materials. I'm like, everybody has a code. This is crazy. This is a lot for me. That was one of the things I wish I knew a little bit more about why structural is so specialized. And I get it now. I think that is the disconnect is there's a lot of classes getting under that civil umbrella. And unless you specifically know you want to be a structural, which I don't think any of us really, did you know that going in? I didn't know that going in. I know. And you didn't even mention like any of the like steel code, like that was even worse for me because, and then you have jurisdictional codes, like it's so convoluted. You're exactly right. They make you take a thermo. They make you take an an electrical. I went to school, you know, we had to take religion classes, which was great. You know, that's part of the requirements, but that's a lot. There's a lot going on in there. Right. And to try to, I think there's a little bit of disconnect and, but I think that that maybe it's the academic folks don't really see that there's maybe because they're not practicing, they don't realize that, that there's a disconnect. Maybe that's it. I went to Cal Poly Pomona, which is more of learn by doing philosophy, where I did get exposed to the projects and actually like design work. But then I've also went to UC San Diego, where it's more of your, I think more the way that schools are taught, where they don't really have PEs as engineers, and it's really, really theoretical. I think both of them are good, but if you want to work in the industry, it helps so much just to have like a project that was led by junk professor that worked in the industry and maybe they teach a design class. I think those are so helpful just because that's when I solidified like, oh, I'm going into structural engineering after I worked on that project. That was so cool. What do I need to do to get into structural engineering? (laughs) Then it was like, oh, I need to get my master's and all that stuff. But that's like what triggered me because it was like, oh, I really like working on projects. I like the structural aspects. And then that's when I got interested in structural engineering. I didn't like fall in love with all the math and stuff, but all of the statics and the detailing and the creativity from working on a project, even though it was a school project, I think we should have more of that because that was like what inspired me to like know that I really wanted to get into this field. That's a good point because I didn't even think about that, but I did have an adjunct professor who did reinforced concrete and I really... I mean, I took reinforced concrete too, just because I loved it so much. My college was one of those where it like covered all of them. And honestly, the reason why I chose it was just based on the experience that I got during my internship. We we did have adjunct professors, but I want to say some of our professors weren't practicing 
where they hadn't practiced for a very long time. Their part-time job was golfing. But on the track line, you know, you mentioned like the classes. So what other classes can a structural engineer take while in college to help them become a better engineer? So let's say they have identified that structural is the way that they want to go early on, because I don't think you learned about the disciplines until maybe like your last two years, like your junior and senior years when you decide to make the decision. What other classes do you think would help them? I think there's three classes that every engineer should at least have in their toolbox, let's say. Number one is public speaking. I was fortunate enough to have that in there as a requirement. Everybody graduating at that time had to have that. And it's not standing in front of a group per se, but it's having the courage and the confidence to to know what you're talking about in a meeting with a design team and you're like, well, no, I don't think this is right because the brace needs to go this way. And because the forces and having to know what you're talking about to be able to communicate that effectively in a meeting to other people, not necessarily a design team, but maybe to an owner or a contractor. So I think public speaking is something that it's not necessarily standing up in front of a group, even though that's, that is a requirement sometimes when you're doing other things, but I think just having the confidence in your speaking skills, I think is, is really important. The second one I think is definitely take a marketing class, even if you're just auditing it, just so you know where the marketing folks are coming from. I know that we have a really great, you know, marketing department and knowing what they're looking for and how they think and what they're trying to put together so that it reads really great because otherwise we get lost in the technical aspects of what we're writing. When you have to describe a project or write your resume, you want it to sound really great. You want the firm to sound really great. And marketing isn't just the stuff that we put out on paper, but it's also your social media and what you're doing there. So I think that there's a lot of things that as an engineer, you probably, you might miss because it's that that other side of our brain that we don't tap into very much. The third class is take some kind of finance or business or accounting because engineering is a business. And at some point, you're going to be responsible for making money. And that's writing a proposal, making sure that you're covering enough for you know, your time and fees and knowing how much it actually costs for an hour of our time. I think that's one of the things that we devalue a lot is that our time is valuable. You know, I know that attorneys have no problem charging by the hour and we're responsible for people's lives. Every building that we build is responsible for more people's lives than a doctor tends to in a day. We should be compensated for it. And I think part of that is knowing what our worth is and knowing what our time is really means and knowing what a profit and loss statement looks like. And if we're not making any money, then we need to you know, adjust for that. But I think those are some classes that would definitely benefit some engineers for sure. And that's honestly great advice. All of those three topics that you just brought up, so public speaking, marketing, and then some sort of finance are so important. And I can just think of all of the situations that I have come into account in my career as well, where I wish I had had that in my background and I had that knowledge beforehand because what you said, you know, engineering is a business. Like the goal, of course, we want to serve the community and make safe structures and, you know, solve problems. But in the end, we also have to make money. So I think that's incredible advice. And public speaking, I remember my first like owner presentation, customer presentation, and like wanting, fortunately my supervisor was there to supplement where I kind of fell off. 
And I had even practiced. <laughs> that was the thing. But it was like, I didn't necessarily fall on my face, but it was definitely like I was like shaking and sweating. It was like a, I was a mess afterwards. And that shouldn't happen to people. Like if you just take the public speaking and realize everyone in the room is just a person and everyone wants to see you do well and you just need to communicate what you need or what they need, it's so important. The one thing that I learned from public speaking is when you have to get up in front of people, you need to write it down. You can only wing it for so long. If you're really talking about you're giving a technical presentation or you're, you're like doing an award ceremony, you need to write some details down or you're going to forget. And it, you, you want to make sure that you acknowledge the people you're supposed to acknowledge or like I said, communicate your message. So you definitely need to write some things down sometimes. The public speaking one, I think is actually all three of those is because as engineers, you're probably not going to get taught that. And if you neglect those, those are, it's ironic. It's knowing technical skills can only get you so far in structural engineering. You need all those other three to like make it into more of a higher role in a, any company, basically in a structural engineering firm. But you need those skills that you're not taught. And I think you learned a lot about that, Trina, when you were like serving up and being a waitress when you got into the financials, I think that's where maybe unconsciously, I think is like where you learned all that stuff, like customer service, how to present yourself and just in front of a group of people and how to sound confident might be a skill that a lot of engineers, maybe not a lot, but maybe some engineers don't have a, a lot of, but it makes such a difference when you're talking to the contractor because you're representing your company. Even though you may not know the answer, there's a big difference between saying, hey, I don't know that answer, but I'll talk to my team we'll get you the answer right away versus like, uh, I don't know. <laughs> like, you know, like just presenting yourself. <laughs> We've all been there. <laughs> yeah. Like both are saying the same thing, but just the way you present yourself and how you handle yourself, maybe with like the professionalism, I guess, is uh, definitely a big deal or definitely makes a big difference and can definitely boost your career. Right. I always like when they come up with a, like a real humdinger, I'm like, Ooh, that's a good one. That's going to take me at least two times on the stair step to figure that one out. That's my best thinking is when I'm working out, for sure. For students and young professionals, I know those are some of the challenges, but are there any other challenges that engineers or students, they're going to tackle during this stage of their career and how they can handle it or maybe what they can expect to be a challenging aspect? I think there's probably two things that they probably need to do at this stage in their career. The first thing is to, there's a lot of learning opportunities in front of you in these, these years. And so take advantage of all of them. If you want to go learn a new material, now's the time to do it. You know, if you want to learn, learn, take those learning opportunities of getting all those computer software that's available to you at your office, learn all of those programs. This is the time that you can ask all the questions, get, you know, vet it all out, take that opportunity that people are giving you. And, and if they they're like, well, I have some shop drawings for you and maybe that's about it. Say so like, that's okay. I'm going to go learn about how to do cold form metal framing, or I'm going to go learn how to do some wood today, or I'm going to go read some masonry stuff that's been kind of interesting to me. You know, so I definitely say take the time that you have and take that opportunity to learn something new and to take it all in. You're a sponge. Take it all in and ask questions about it. The second thing I encourage people to do in this stage of their career is to get out and meet other people in our industry, make some friendships, join an organization, join a structural engineer association, ASCE, SEI, 
all of them are great organizations and maybe take a leadership role in some of those groups because your firm will look at you differently if you're taking a leadership role in those organizations in our profession. That shows a lot of interest in that you're in this for the long haul and that you're not just doing this right now. And it kind of gives you an insight to what other firms are doing, how they're approaching things, how they're solving problems, what software they're using, who are they talking to as far as, you know, work and what's going on and staying, staying in touch with, you know, how long is that lead time in that steel now? I mean, it's long. We all talk about it together. We're all knowing that. So you're like, oh, so-and-so told me this. And you're like, oh, I didn't hear that. But you kind of compare notes and kind of use each other to build some camaraderie and to, um, like I said, just get out there and get to know some people because you'd be surprised how much that really helps you that you, you don't feel like you're such an island because you might not have someone at your firm that's in the same boat as you, but you can definitely find some other people outside in your area. So Trina, what career advice would you give to young engineers? And, you know, we've kind of outnumbered Matt on this call, but I really enjoy speaking about young female engineers who are getting into the industry. What advice would you give them to achieve similar success and assume a leadership role one day? The one of the great things about being where I am right now in my career is that I'm here. And there was a time when there wasn't that person for me to look to and say, I want to be where she's at. How do I get there? Because I didn't have that example for myself. I kind of had to carve my own path, which totally fine and totally get it. One of the things that I want people to take away is that, you know, be the best that you can be, right? Be the engineer that you makes you the happiest. And if you see somebody that's doing what you want to do, then go do that. Take notes. It's like, what are they doing? What skills do they have? How did they get there? Ask them that question. I heard you guys speaking a little bit about mentorship and why is that so important? It's important because we all need someone to help us get to where we need to go. When we talked about it before, we don't have all the skills that we need to get where we want to go because we're still learning. And I think that engineering is one of the professions, probably like, like I said, being a doctor or an attorney, that things are always constantly changing and you have to be flexible and you have to keep learning. Having that camaraderie between engineers that you've made friendships with early on in your career, it kind of helps you to share because I think that's part of like how you really grow is it's like, that's how you grew in class you come together to work on your projects, but I think it's the same as you, as your career grows. Right. And I think that's how I landed the job that I have now is that I had similar interests as somebody else. And when they were looking to hire, it made it really easy for me to make that transition because I was like, well, I know them. They're good people. They're not going to work somewhere. That's awful. Knowing that that's, it's not just even a mentorship, but it's that camaraderie that you have between other people. The other piece of advice that I would like to give them is, is find out what you're good at and then keep sharpening that skill or tool, whatever. And if you have to try a couple of different things to try it on to see if it fits, that's fine because this is the time to figure it out. I think this is the time where you go, I want to go learn that. And then you go, mm, maybe that's not for me. And then you back up and you start again. Or I want to go work for a really big firm. I want to go work on that super sexy project all the time. 
And then you get there and you're like, oh, I don't like this. I don't like this feeling. I don't like where I'm at. I don't like the environment. And you can back up and come back. And I just think you just have to know yourself enough to find what you're good at, find your niche, maybe specialize in something that you're really interested in. Maybe it's post-tension. Maybe it's wood. Maybe it's something else. Because there's so many other careers outside of what we do besides building buildings. I mean, you can be, you can work for another company that's, you know, like you do Carrie. Right? You can go do something else. You're still in the industry. You're still on the inside, but you're doing something else that helps other structural engineers in a different way. So it's a different type of engineering, but it's still the same. I think that that's two pieces of advice that I would say that young engineers probably need to know is that you can't do it on your own and that find out what you're good at and keep sharpening it. Just for our listeners, especially if you are a young engineer, a young female engineer, there is space for you in this industry. And I think that's so important to mention. I didn't have your experience, Trina. My first uh, supervisor was a woman and she was amazing. She was like super high energy, incredibly smart, incredibly like all she was like, I think the past president of ASCE. So she took your advice to go ahead and get into an organization. And she helped me develop myself and, you know, develop my strength of character as an engineer in the industry, because you do need sort of like a strong spine sometimes in this industry as a female. I've also seen, especially lately, and this is something I've mentioned the map before, and some of my coworkers, is we've seen a lot of men also opening space for women to help them identify the gap. And, you know, they've really taken some care to think about, okay, what am I not doing? I have seen that in my own coworkers and I've seen it in some industries, especially structural engineering, you know, they've identified the gap and they're consciously making space to help fill those with young female engineers, but also younger engineers in general. So I think that is incredible feedback. I just want to be the best engineer I can be whether that's female, male, whatever, I just want to be the best engineer that I can be and knowing what my limits are. I know I'm not going to go do a high rise. That's not in my wheelhouse. Those, I think that window is passed for me, you know, cause I don't have the attention span. I don't think anymore to run those type of numbers, but I appreciate what they do. And I appreciate the fact that there's skills that I have that Other people can't. I can take a screaming contractor and make him my best friend. I mean, that's just something that not everybody can do. And I take that knowing that that's my strength. What you mentioned as well is there's a lot of, uh, I think, more people now and organizations that can help you out in your career path. And I think that's why joining those organizations, I've met a lot of people that have helped me out, uh, you know, from ASCE and CIOSC or NCSEA. A lot of those uh, people I wouldn't have met uh, without them. And what's cool is that they're pretty much in the same journey as you. They're going through the same struggles and whatnot. And that might have been something that you wouldn't have had maybe like 10, 20 years where we weren't so connected via online or whatnot. But that's something that we can take advantage of in our careers that we're so connected. And if you're young, get that help. Find a group of people that you can connect with. If you're on the more experienced side, I think it's a great opportunity to get involved in those organizations and maybe help out the next generation as well. So, And the other thing I think is you know, maybe just asking 
find out what you're good at and you're not sure, you know, ask for some help. Like, Hey, can I go to a concrete conference or can I go do this? You know? And I think most employers are happy to invest to help you figure that out. If you show some interest. That says a lot about your company. I think when you ask those types of questions, I think they should be supporting you in your professional growth. And if they're not supporting you, maybe that's a red flag because if they're on the the right minded things, they should be helping you in your professional development. And because that might be something that if you're really good at it, it can really help your firm. <laughs> that might be the next thing that brings in the next project or you can be the specialist. So definitely asking questions and asking to see what you're good at. Now's the time to do it exactly like you were saying. Because life's going to get in the way eventually. And you just want to make sure that you have as many tools in your toolbox as you possibly can. And this is the time to get them. And don't be afraid to ask any questions. I think the big takeaway from today. Thank you again, Trina, for all of your time today and your feedback. This was a wonderful discussion. And I appreciate listening to you. And I know Matt does as well. So again, thank you so much for joining us today for this podcast. Thank you so much for having me. I really have enjoyed meeting both of you. I hope you enjoyed the episode today. We would love to hear your feedback, comments, or any questions you may have. To leave them, please visit structuralengineeringchannel.com. There you will find a summary of the key points discussed in today's episode, which is episode number 64, as well as the links to any of the resources, websites, or books mentioned during this episode. Don't forget to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Until next time, we wish you the best in all your structural engineering endeavors. The Structural Engineering Channel podcast is published by the Engineering Management Institute and is part of EMI's Civil Engineering Media and Entertainment Network. The opinions on the show are those of the hosts and guests, not their employers. For information on EMI's people and project management skills training programs for civil engineering professionals, visit engineeringmanagementinstitute.org.